in Isaiah chapter 56. If you brought your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up there to Isaiah 56. Uh, If not, uh, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. Uh, Again, it's Isaiah 56 uh, verses 3 through 8, and we will be there shortly. So this week at the Cornet household, um, our house was a house of prayer, uh, but not because we're super holy, uh, more because we really needed some prayer this week. Uh, we started the week, or the weekend, I guess, um, by noticing what we thought was a small leak, uh, water leak in the house, um, and figuring out within 24 hours that it wasn't a small leak. Um, we could hear water running under the slab. Uh, we, I stepped in a puddle in the laundry room. Thankfully, it didn't spread to any other parts of the house. Uh, but you know, when it was, it was like midnight, Friday night last weekend, uh, and I was stepping in the laundry room to get something. Uh, and it's never a good feeling when you're in your house and you hear a splash when your foot hits the ground, right? But certainly not at midnight. Uh, and so we spent uh, maybe an hour or so cleaning that up uh, Friday night, um, turned the water off immediately, uh, called the good folks over at KMP, uh, and they came and they fixed us up early this week, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, it took them a while because um, those of you who are familiar with concrete construction, which I'm not when it comes to a concrete foundation, I didn't know there were actually concrete slabs. I thought it was just one big piece of concrete, but evidently not slabs, beams. Um, there are concrete beams. It's a part of the slab that go deeper, like four foot deep, the guy was telling me. And it just so happened that the leak was in the middle of one of those. I uh, thought it would be easy to get to. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, we figured it out. We made things work. We had some people help us out. And so it was, it was we're gracious and we're grateful. Uh, but we, we offered up some prayers that God would move things quickly uh, because of that. And uh, we had one of our little ones uh, getting over a sickness, wasn't able to go with the babysitter this week because of that. And so praying about that, we had Corbin kind of was sick-ish one evening, and so praying about that. Anyway, there was a lot of prayer offered up to God this week, and a lot of my prayers lately have started with two words, God, please. Anybody else start their, word, their prayers that way, where you, you skip all of the hallowed be thy name stuff, and you just move right on to give me today my daily bread, right? You just move right on to the requests uh, that you have. Um, you skip the, the adoration part, and you move right on to the supplication part. Those of you who are familiar with that prayer construction, um, you're moving right on to what you need. Uh, and most, a lot of my prayers this week started and ended <laughs> with requests, with supplication, with things that I thought I needed. And I was planning on doing this series anyway, have been for quite a while, but it certainly got me thinking about what is the way we think about prayer? What is our attitude towards prayer? Uh, Often our attitude towards prayer might be just that. It is a time to give your litany of needs, uh, your list of requests to God uh, so that he can fulfill them or not. Um, Maybe even so bold that some in the world today, some in the church today, uh, would think it's your time to demand things of God, to claim things from God, to tell God what you need so that he has to do uh, what you think he should do. Uh, Others, maybe not so bold, but you still come with a similar approach to come to God and to ask him humbly, knowing that it's up to him, but still spend the majority of your time asking for things or for God to move in certain ways in your life. And that's certainly a part of prayer, so don't want to shame anybody for that. But is that the only thing that we think about when we think about prayer? Or is prayer just something that we say or speak? Is prayer only our words? offer to God? Does prayer have to look a certain way? Do you have to be in a certain posture, in a certain place, at a certain time of day? Or is prayer more fluid than that? 
could prayer actually involve listening more than just speaking? We're going to talk about that next week. But there's a lot of things we need to think about when we think about prayer. And I've, I've preached on prayer many times before. We've done a series on prayer here at FBC Grandview before. Um, but it's something that we need to revisit and revisit often. Because as you look throughout all of the Bible, as you look throughout all of the main characters in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, prayer is a central part of their life. Uh, prayer is a central part of one of the biggest books of the Bible in the book of Psalms. It is a central element of a relationship with God and of the story of God itself. It was even a central element in the life of Jesus Christ, who was indeed the fullness of God present, manifested here on the planet, on earth, the, the, the fully God and fully human, the Son of God, yet he himself even knew that a communication, a prayer time with God was a necessity. So what is your attitude towards prayer? What is our attitude towards prayer as a church? It's going to be one of the things we think about, to move it out of the attitude of just a list of requests or just things that we say to God or just something that we spend a few minutes each day doing and we really don't think about it beyond that. I want to see that change. And so here's some, some goals for the next several weeks uh, as we work through this series on prayer that we're calling Prayed Up. Uh, one, I would love to see our attitude towards prayer changed, uh, change attitude towards prayer. I've already kind of talked about that, so I don't need to spell it out anymore. Uh, but I would also love to see more active individual prayer lives, um, for prayer to me to be more present in your life. Some of you already pray on a regular basis. Some of you might not on a regular basis. It might be when you think about it during your busy week. Uh, whatever you're, wherever you're at, whether you pray three times a day or you pray a couple of times a week uh, or you just don't think about it at all, wherever you are in that continuum, uh, I would love for, I don't think we can spend too much time, uh, especially when we rethink our attitude towards prayer and what prayer really is. Uh, it's not always just going to a closet all by yourself and spending 30 minutes there. It can be more deeper than that. Um, so what I would love to see is for us to all be more more actively engaged individually in our own relationship and our own prayer lives with God. And then finally, and this one is more abstract, I would love to see that FBC Grandview would be known as a house of prayer. And that's kind of where we're going to start this morning. What does it mean to be a house of prayer? What would, be, what would the characteristics be of a place if that place was known as a prayer, a prayer warrior church or a praying church or a house of prayer church, what would that church look like? Have you ever thought what, about what it means for a church to be a house of prayer? That's a phrase you might have heard before in Scripture. Probably if you're thinking about where you've heard that in Scripture, a passage that comes to mind is Mark chapter 11 where Jesus confronts the money changers in the temple and he throws them out and he says, this house is supposed to be known as a house of of prayer. You've turned it into a thief of, uh, or a den of thieves, right? Maybe that's the one you're thinking of. And when we think of that passage, we always think that, or, or we most readily think, and I did, especially as a kid, think that what Jesus was talking about was like actual just, you know, get out of here with your money stuff. This is just supposed to be about praying silently and quietly and in a holy kind of mindset and posture before the Lord. But Jesus is directly quoting the passage that we're going to be studying this morning in Mark chapter 11. That's Mark eleven seventeen. if you want to make a note of that and look it up later. Uh, he's directly quoting this passage in Isaiah, which is about prayer, but it's also about what prayer does to a body and what a house of prayer really looks like. And so that's where we're going to focus this morning. What does a house of prayer 
look like? And as we're doing that, as we're thinking that, ask yourself about this church. Is FBC Grandview a house of prayer? Ask yourself about your home and, 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 and think more metaphorically as well when we come to house of prayer, not just a literal building, but is your life even a house of prayer? Like I said, we're going to be looking at what Jesus is quoting in Isaiah, Isaiah 56, 3 through 8, but to some real quick context before we jump into the scripture. Um, Isaiah, written mainly to the, the southern uh, kingdom, Judah, uh, this is Isaiah 56, where we're talking about a word to them after they had come out of captivity. This word is meant for that time period. Uh, after they've come out of captivity in Babylon, they're looking to rebuild. Uh, the people are looking forward to the ultimate redemption in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of messianic prophecies towards the end of Isaiah. I think Isaiah 53 in particular. And in a way, we are seeing in this passage, in Isaiah 56, a, a vision from God for what his people ought to look like. Uh, for what his people ought to be like and what a house of prayer ought to be known as. So what I want you to take away, one line to remember, a house of prayer is a place where the people of God approach the throne of God to hear the voice of God. A house of prayer is a place where the people of God approach the throne of God to hear the voice of God. Let's pray before we open the scriptures. Father, we, I confess, we're often taking this moment lightly. God, we are eternally grateful for the opportunity right now, as at all other times, to call on your name. That you, in this moment, through your spirit, hear me and hear us, is, is worthy of, of praise. God, I know that, that I don't deserve it. I know that we don't deserve it. And God, that you would open your ear to hear our heart. God, you are good and you are holy. You are wonderful. And God, we thank you just for hearing us and being with us through your spirit present among and within us this morning. And Lord, I pray now that you would continue to speak into our hearts and minds. God, that you would remove distraction from us. God, that you would help us focus on what you have for each one of us this morning. And God, your word tells us that your word, once it goes out, does not come back to you void. And so, Lord, we pray, I pray, God, that your word would depart from this place this morning. And God, that it would do a work of transformation in all that here. God, may your spirit move. And God, may you show us what you want us to do in response to your word this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Once again, Isaiah chapter 56, verses three through eight, the prophet Isaiah speaking for the Lord writes these words. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigner who joins who join and, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant. 
These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. It's a beautiful passage amongst a hard prophecy. Um, Isaiah begins to immediately call out leaders from this point forward, moving on in Isaiah 56. And it is that, that, that weird uh, thing about prophecy is that there's these wonderful high moments followed by these moments of, of God's judgment. Uh, and here once we find one of these words of hope. And, and again, the, the latter portion of Isaiah is full of, of words of hope and a restoration and a future, a future reality that's coming that will set all things right. And we have a glimpse of that in this passage where Isaiah talks about God's house as a house of prayer, two times noting that statement. Isaiah is delivering a bold statement right off the bat in this passage just by including two parties that he includes, foreigners and eunuchs. Anyone listening to this prophecy, anyone reading these words would have been immediately intrigued and thought to themselves, wow, Isaiah is making a bold statement here. Where is he going by bringing up these two people groups? For the foreigner, Israel had had its issues throughout its history in relating to foreigners. If you can remember back to our series, through our series in, in, in the Judges, one of the main problems that the, that the Israelites made early on is that they assimilated with foreign people groups around them instead of doing with them as God commanded them to do, which is to remove them from the land so that they would inhabit the land. Uh, that was Israel's problem a lot in the way that they related to the people around them. However, it was also true from the very beginning, going all the way back to Exodus and Deuteronomy, that there was a command from God, an encouragement from God, that the people of God should be welcoming to the stranger, to the stranger who was sojourning through their land. That was a, um, a, a persistent command throughout Scripture to be welcoming in such a way. And so it's not the openness of Israel that's a problem. It's their assimilation into the culture of the foreigners that is a problem. And so there's already like a significant issue, historical big issue with Israel when it comes to foreigners. And so Isaiah starts here, or God through Isaiah starts here, and telling the, the people that the house of prayer that God is talking about, this, this ultimate view of what the people of God should look like when everything is made right, the foreigners are going to be welcomed. And then he brings up the eunuch which would have been someone purposefully sterilized, likely castrated in order to serve in official roles so that they could be trusted to be around women in power without doing anything weird. That's basically what that's about. That's what a eunuch was. And so the Jews thought of these people as unclean. They thought that they were not totally human because they had maimed their bodies. They were obviously unable to have a family, unable to have descendants. Uh, and so this was a, a bad position for someone to be in. But there were probably a lot of Jews during the time of captivity that found themselves in this position because they had to serve Babylon and they had to serve in official roles. And in order to be in such a role, they had to become a eunuch. And so there's probably a group of people that, it, that are obviously in the minds of the people that Isaiah is talking to. And most would say those people don't belong. They sold out. They were willing to maim themselves in order to serve um, another government, uh, in order to serve another government who treated us with brutality and who did all of these things to us. Uh, they are less than human. They certainly are less than Jewish. Uh, we need to keep those people outside the lines. Yet Isaiah, God, through Isaiah, makes sure that everyone knows that they are welcome. 
You see, one thing about a house of prayer and prayer in general, prayer is an embassy of shalom in a world of chaos. Uh, it, It is a place in a world of rejection, in a world of chaos, in a world that has gone mad, in a world in which your people are enslaved by another government and you're trying to make that work. That's the place that the Israelites were coming out of in this context. Prayer is a place where even in the midst of that chaos, and and maybe you've noticed that our world can be a little chaotic as well. Prayer is a place where even in the midst of chaos, we can find peace. One of my favorite prayers to pray in any moment of chaos, anytime that anyone is in need, is, is a prayer that God would, as the scriptures tell us, give us a peace that surpasses understanding. That's what prayer is. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about an embassy of shalom. Shalom is just the Hebrew word for peace, but it's so much more than that. It's wholeness and and perfection and things fitting just right, exactly how they should. And, And that's what prayer ought to be, that even when everything else seems off, even when everything else seems mad, even when everyone else seems mad, prayer ought to serve as a place in the midst of that, an embassy in the midst of that where we can find rest and peace, and wholeness as individuals and as a family of God. You see, the foreigner, if you roll back and read the scripture, assumed separation. Let not the foreigner say to himself that I should be separated from God's people. The eunuch, likewise, probably didn't think he had much luck. He looked at himself, as the scripture says, as a dry tree. Read in there, a fruitless tree one who will not bear fruit, one who will not pass his DNA, his lineage on to the next generation. Everything will die with him. These individuals looked at themselves as hopeless, as cut off from the community, cut off from family, and certainly even cut off from God. But in the midst of their story, prayer and God's kingdom serves as a reminder that they are included. They are a part of God's plan a part of God's house. A house of prayer is composed of those who love and pursue God. Even those who were once thought to be cut off like the foreigner and the eunuch, if they, now there's a conditional if within this passage that we can't just ignore. If they join themselves to the Lord, that's one of the phrases that are used. If they keep the Sabbaths, there's a lot of other things. Basically, if they pursue love and follow God, then they too will be a part of the family. The God-following eunuch is promised that he will have a place inside the walls that he will have a place with a home. He will have somewhere where he can belong and he will have a name better than sons and daughters. A name better than sons and daughters. One of my favorite things about parenting is knowing that I have a piece of me that lasts to the next generation. But what the word tells us here is that the name that God gives us is better than that, that we have a remembrance in the mind of the Lord. Forget the world around us. People forget things very quickly. In a few generations, nobody's going to know who I was, who most of you in this building are, but God himself remembers us, regardless of how forgetful we might be to the rest of the world. Forgettable, I should say. We might be to the rest of the world. 
this is an interesting note, kind of a side trivia, if you will. In verse 5, when God is talking to the eunuch, he says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. A place and a name. Now, in Hebrew, that is Yad Vashem, which those of you who have ever been to Israel or Jerusalem, that might actually ring a bell because Yad Vashem is the name of the Holocaust Memorial, the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, the big one, uh, the most important one. I've never been there. Hope to see it someday. Uh, but uh, they borrow this exactly from this scripture. And it is that idea that these people will not be forgotten. These people will have a place in a world that was absolutely chaotic and, the, and, 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 and perhaps the singular most evil expression that the world has ever seen, at least the modern world has ever seen in the Holocaust of the Jewish people, uh, there is a group of people that said that we, we, have, we recall and we rely on the scripture to remember that they are not forgotten. As children of God, they are not forgotten. So I, I love the fact that they borrow that name and we could talk about uh, the relationship with Jesus and all of that. And that gets mixed up in any conversation about the Jews. But I just want to focus on the beauty of them choosing that name and a reminder that when the rest of the world is willing to, to cut us off and to say that we are unworthy, uh, or when the rest of the world is, is, is ready to put us aside, that the house of prayer, the house of the Lord is a place for us where we have a monument and a name that is better than sons and daughters, that is better than any remembrance that this world has to offer. And the sacrifices of the covenant-keeping foreigners will be accepted, and they too will be welcomed, as the scripture says, in God's house and on his holy mountain. People who thought that they would wander their entire lives will have a home. You see, God doesn't stop here either. I love the foreshadowing in verse 8. The Lord who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. You know who the yet others are? It's you guys. That's me. That's, that's us Gentiles. The yet others, the outcasts of Israel, the ones who don't belong, the ones who aren't ethnically Jewish, who don't have the right blood coursing through our veins, those who are outside the faith, outside the lines drawn by men. God has a way, and we always act like it's just New Testament. Now, even here in the prophet Isaiah, God has a way of bringing the outcasts in, of taking the outsiders and making them insiders and having the insiders question the lines that they are drawing. I hope you see that as an element that runs throughout scripture. People are wonderful at drawing lines and saying you're inside and you're out where God most of the time is saying, if you follow me, you're in. It's really that simple. And for those who are outside the house of prayer, they are reminded that if they join themselves with the Lord, if they make themselves a people who follow God, who honor the Sabbath, who, who follow God and believe and pursue God, that they too will be a part of the household. They too will be a part of the family. God plans on bringing in all kinds of outcasts. And in the end, the focus, the wonderful talking about these people coming in, the focus is still on a sovereign God. This house of prayer is full of all of God's people, people who follow God. It's not just like God saying, you know, you can come in for whatever reason. No, if you follow me, 
then you will be welcomed into this house of prayer. You see, prayer finds its beginning, its ending, its middle, its purpose, its power, its source, its destination, and its meaning in God alone. If we don't start and end with a focus on God in our prayer lives, we are missing the point. The most most wonderful thing you can do in prayer is to laud the name of God, to give him honor and glory for his goodness, for his greatness, to spend time worshiping him in prayer. And then, maybe then, instead of just listing requests, which you should do, maybe we can quiet ourselves. And again, we're going to talk about this next week. But maybe we can quiet ourselves and actually listen to the voice of the Lord, to hear what he has to say to us. So many prayers in Scripture are given with, God, can you just... We're waiting. Will you speak? We're waiting to hear what you have to say. How long, O oh Lord, will we wait? But it was a people who were interested in hearing from God rather than just telling God about the events of their day and asking for the stuff that they needed. Prayer finds everything, finds its entire focus in God alone. And so if FBC Grandview is to be a house of prayer, first, Jesus must be central. In everything that we do, especially in the way that we pray, Jesus must be central. If your prayer is some generic God, man upstairs, if you're up there, you know, you see that in pop culture in the world today. If you're listening, here's what I need. Can you, can you, you know, give a brother a hand? Can you help me out in my time of need? Now, I'm not saying that God in his wonderful mercy might not answer those prayers. He might as an act of mercy. But if that's what your view of prayer is, you have taken one of the most powerful forces in the world and made it this anemic, like, request system. I think of it uh, several years ago, I think during the Obama administration, the, the White House uh, decided to open up this thing where you could petition, I forget the exact website, but you could write a petition uh, in to ask the government to do something and anybody and everybody could write it. And if it got so many online signatures, then they would hear it. I, I think a lot of times we view prayer like that. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw this out there, you know, and I'm going to hope that it works out. Hopefully some other people will agree with me. Hopefully some more people will ask for this, but I don't have much faith in it because, well, I'm, I'm sending it to the federal government. Can I get an amen from anybody on that one? How many of you thought the federal government's really going to make my day better today? Every morning when you wake up, you know, they're going to fix it all regardless of who is in charge. You probably don't think that on a daily basis. God will come through for us. God has the best in mind for us. Uh, and if we think that prayer is just some listing of requests, we have made it so anemic and so weak. Prayer should literally empower you for the day. Uh, it, it should be a time every morning when you get the strength from the Lord that you need to face the trials of the day. It should be a time every morning when you remind yourself how small you are and how big God is that shapes the way that you serve other people in your life for the rest of the day. And maybe it's not a morning, maybe it's at night, whenever. I'm not saying it has to be at a certain time, but it should be something that literally changes your life. I know we as pastors say those kinds of phrases a lot. This should change your life. And we can say it so often that it becomes so common uh, that we just forget about the importance of it and think, yeah, sure, that should change my life. Just like the thing last week should change my life. But hear me when I say it. I'm going to say it again so that you really hear me. Prayer should change your life. 
Prayer should change your life. It should make a difference. And if it's not, if you're mouthing words, and if you're just going through the motions, if you're listing requests, crossing your fingers that God will come through, then you have made this powerful, life-changing, earth-shaking resource that we have. You have made it nothing more than a petition to someone who may or may not answer. Prayer is powerful, and it's powerful because God is behind it. God is the source and the destination. Jesus must be central if we are to be a house of prayer. Second, all must be welcome. I'm going to let you behind the curtain a little bit when it comes to composing sermons. I was thinking about this idea of house of prayer, and I thought about the passage in Mark. That led me to this passage in Isaiah because this is what Jesus was quoting. And I was thinking mainly about talking just about prayer, and then I got to reading the scripture, and I saw that it was so much deeper than just what we think of when we think of prayer. And what I see in the DNA of the people of God, what I see described in Isaiah 56, a house of prayer, uh, it changed the way I thought about this phrase when it comes to scripture. Think about it. Be honest with yourself. When you think of the phrase house of prayer, if you're anything like me, you think of somewhere where you you walk in, there's some soft organ music music playing in the background, there's some candles lit somewhere in the building, everything's quiet and holy and reverent, people are praying, the only thing you can hear is maybe pews crack a little bit when people move around, you know know the, the way that room feels and sounds and smells. That's what I think of when I think of a house of prayer. Maybe even some incense or something. I don't know. I just think of this like Isaiah in chapter 6 in the house of the Lord and things shake and he's, he's, he's moved to think that he's unclean. I think of this, this holy moment and prayer definitely is that. But it also, a house of prayer has a certain look to it. It, it, it shapes a community. And what I see in Isaiah and what I see that God telling us through the prophet is that, that a house of prayer is, is not just a group of people who say a bunch of words. It's a people who look different than the rest of the world. It's a people who are unified. The eunuch and the foreigner are welcome. You are welcome at the throne of God. You, no matter what you've done, No matter who you are, no matter what other people say about you, you are welcome at the throne of the holy God creator of the universe. That should rock you a little bit this morning. Because I know who I am, I know what I've done, I know why I'm unworthy. To think that I could actually approach the throne of God, even if it's just to tell him how awesome he is. To think that he actually allows me to do that. Despite who I am, despite what I've done, that should move something within you this morning. That should not be just another thing you hear. You are welcome to communicate with God, to speak before the one who spoke everything into existence. You are welcome to lay your heart out before the Lord. To present your request to him knowing that he will answer according to his good and perfect will. And you are even invited to hear the voice of God in return. 
you are invited to hear the voice of God, the voice that said, let there be light, and there was light. You are invited to listen and incline your ear to hear what that voice has to say about your life. Prayer is a beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing. Let us not make it something small and pedantic and unimportant. Let us realize instead the beautiful power and reality that it is. You are welcome. Others are welcome. Invite them. You see, not only are we welcome, we get to link arms with others and bring them to this house of prayer with us. That's what we're doing right now. So if we're going to be a house of prayer, Jesus must be central. All must be welcome. That's what I take from Isaiah 56. Because a house of prayer is a place where the people of God Approach the throne of God to hear the voice of God. Are we a house of prayer? Is your home, is your life a house of prayer? Are you hearing the voice of God in your life, in your walk? If not, today's a good day to start. If you're wondering what that would look like, I would love to talk to you about that during our time of invitation. You can come down here, you can pray with me, you can pray at the altar, you can pray right where you're at. But if God is laying something on your heart and you need to pray about it, please spend this time communicating with him and listening to him. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray one last time. Bill and Lynn are going to lead us in a song of invitation and you move in whatever way God is leading you to.